0: on the adoption of the report, with all the...
1: Chair, do we not go through yeah, Do we not go through the report page by page? That's what we've done in the past. I don't, I don't know if that's not your custom.
0: Okay, no, I've already uh, commented on that one. We're not going to take them page by page. We take it that members have read the reports, If there is any comment, you can just comment, you can refer us to whatever page that you want to comment on. Okay, Uh, can we get a recommendation by members since there are no comments on the report? The only comment we have received is from the EFF Honourable Gietze. We note that comment. Uh, In the absence of further comments, can I take it that we adopt the report? Yeah. And then uh, followed by. Our Honourable Letia will be followed by Honourable Pozzoli, and then Gates. Somebody
2: is muting my mic. I'm unmuting well, here. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I was unmuting myself and somebody was muting me on the other side. <clears throat> um, I just wanted, to, on the recommendations to welcome 8.4.1 The Relief Fund uh, for SACWA, as proposed by the committee uh, to the minister. And uh, with that, I propose that we we adopt the report uh, as it is. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Um, Any second to the recommendation for that? Oh, we've got Honourable Bozzoli. Honourable
1: Bozzoli, you can come in. No, it's fine, Chair. Thanks, I'm covered.
0: Okay, um, You want to come back again, Honourable Gates?
3: okay we're going to load our rejection to the budget we are not giving them money if they are not doing what we are expecting like you have said that already it's yeah, okay. so yeah. to clarify that
0: thank you so much okay uh, any sure.
1: Second? Sure, sorry before i um uh, before we say, can, mm-hmm. sorry can i just come in We are instructed by our Chief Whip um, to reserve our rights on the budget. We do not want this this, report, any approval of this report, to imply that's the budget.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you. The GA reserves the right on the report. It's uh, accepted. Uh, I'm still looking for a seconder to the report. Any seconder? Or can I get any person who objects to the adoption of the report? No objection? Yeah, can I?
1: Yeah. yeah make... There are some. Spelling and grammar mistakes in the report, what do we do about those?
0: Okay, those ones we can then uh, make note of them and then send them to the secretariat. You can send them to Annele to make those corrections. As long as they are not material, it's okay. Okay.
4: Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. You are secondly.
3: Yes, and seconding, Chairperson. Although we are not
5: entirely happy with everything in the report, but uh, the IFP does not have a
3: problem
0: seconding the report, the, the proposal.
5: Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. The first report is therefore agreed to with those comments from the EFF and the, and the DA. The second one on uh, science and innovation. Can I get an indication from the members? Uh, are there new hands or the hands for the previous uh, Honourable Um
2: Thank you very much, Shepardin. No comment. Um, and uh, on the recommendations, I think were very uh, uh, push for the adoption of the report. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh,
0: any other taker? Yes, chairperson.
3: Yeah. Also, same the thing same thing that applied on the head should also apply. Uh, uh, with the DSI, we also have to note that the EFF does not agree that we should give money where it's not worth it. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, uh, can we? Is Honourable Boseli sent up?
1: Yes, Chair. My hand is up. Okay. Can I go? Yeah, um, go I'm just wondering about it. Thank you in the room. Re- Recommendations in, a, um, in our comments as a committee, we are. I think the, the report is very well written and it does capture our unease with the tier and how um, basically it's, it's failing in, in its mission. But I'm wondering whether in our recommendations we are on the tier um, 611. Of- Of the recommendations it should resolve these executive structure vacancies as a matter of urgency that's good but um we and then 612 the tier should be but we i do believe we need to put in a more forceful sentence or two there just saying we are not happy with tier um in in multiple ways as expressed in our in our observations
0: I think that's in order, Um, can we get any further comments?
1: Chair, may I I continue with uh, the same point that I made under the last report, which is the DA reserves its rights. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Okay, I think we do accept that comment about TIA. That's exactly what we said when we engage uh, with the department and TIA. We expressed the serious reservation about that organization. So I think it must be in the recommendations. Uh, with that, can I get a seconder for the report? Who wants to second? Honourable members, no one is willing to second. Honourable members? Yes,
5: Sir, yeah. person, uh, with the comments that have been made already, I'm not going to repeat them. Um, uh, I, 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 I rise to second the the, the, the the adoption.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Honourable. Uh, that, that then brings us to the end of the two reports. <clears throat> Uh, Thank you very much, honourable members. I think the reports will be 86, accordingly, Uh, with the comments from the EFF as well as the DA. Uh, Can we then move to the next item and get briefings from uh, the two, uh, the Gender Commission? Or commission on gender equality as well as DSI which one do we start with
6: uh, um, so the um the gender
1: commission
0: we start with the gender commission uh, let's give them I think we still have a bit more time so we can go through until half past uh, four and then you will have one and a half hour for engagements. So let's give the Gender Commission 40 minutes will take us through their uh, their report. Uh, welcome, the leadership of uh, the Commission. Uh, you will introduce yourself as you take us through your report.
7: Good afternoon to you, uh, Honourable Chairperson. I would like to send my greetings to the WIP, the Honourable Members of the Portfolio Committee on Higher Education, Science and Technology. And I just want to say thank you very much for inviting us to this session this afternoon. With me, um, first, my name is Tamara Matebula. I am the Chairperson of the Commission for Gender Equality. With me, I have two commissioners. I have Commissioner Dibiela um, uh, Mutupi, and I have Commissioner Lindy Wenduli ubatla and we have our CEO, Chief Executive Officer, Ms. Keke and our legal officer, Ms. Marisa uh, Fanikek. Chairperson, this afternoon, we are here to present uh, our report as per the invite basically um, just by way of introducing ourselves we are the commission for gender equality which is an institution that was established in terms of section 181 of the Constitution of the of 1996 in terms of section 187 subsection 1 of the Constitution, The Commission for Gender Equality is mandated specifically to promote respect for gender equality and the protection, the development and the attainment of gender equality in the country. We are also mandated to monitor, investigate, research, educate, advise, and report on issues concerning gender equality. We also assess the observance of gender equality throughout the country. And beyond the borders of this uh, country. The Commission for Gender Equality Act, number 39 of 1996, as amended, further supplements the powers of the Commission for Gender Equality to fulfill its constitutional mandate. The powers to investigate um, are given and are amplified as per section 11, subsection 1E of the Commission for Gender Equality. So, Honorable Chairperson, we are investigating or we have investigated the institutions of higher learning using our mandate. And this afternoon, we are here to present the investigative report uh, on gender transformation in institutions of higher learning. This report, uh, Chairperson, is one of the of many reports because we did not look at uh, the few institutions of higher learning, but we looked at the entire 22 institutions out of 26 universities in the country at the time. So this afternoon we will present the findings of the public investigative hearings on gender transformation. These hearings, particularly with the institutions that are outlined, the four institutions that we will be talking about, were hosted by the the Commission for Gender Equality, Uh, in in 2016, where we hosted the investigative hearings, and we also hosted these institutions in November 2019, respectively. The institutions in questions, Honorable Chair, uh, were subpoenaed, uh, and when we subpoena, we usually subpoena the vice chancellors of those institutions as leaders of the institutions. They were subpoenaed to come and appear before us, before the Commission for Gender Equality, and to respond to a set of questions relating to gender transformation in those universities. Not only respond, uh, honorable members, but to furnish us with a lot of information that we required, such as copies of policies that have been developed, that have been reviewed, that have been adopted as per our recommendations. We also asked them to actually make sure that when they develop those uh, policies, they they align with the country laws and legislations and policies such as the Employment Equity Act uh, of number 55 of 1996. Also align with Skills Development Act of uh, 1998, and also align with the basic conditions of Employment Act number 75 of 1997, including the Labor Relations Act, number 66 of 1995. We have looked at what the institutions have developed so far, honorable members, and we have looked at other efforts that the institutions have made in terms of making sure that um, they move towards gender transformation and they realize gender transformation within their institutions. Honorable Chair, without waste of time, I am going to hand over to our Chief Executive Officer, Ms. Mayema, to make a formal presentation in the next 15 minutes. Thank you
0: very much. Thank you very much, Uh, Chair. CEO? Thank you very
6: much. uh, Thank you very much, Chair. much, uh, uh, Chair, and uh, uh, good afternoon, uh, honorable members. Um, I take it that the presentation that was uh, circulated, members would have it uh, right in front of them at this stage. Uh, and so with regard to that uh, presentation, I will not you know, get into the mandate. I think the presentation highlights the mandate, but I will go directly and start from uh, slide five, uh, where we are highlighting, you know, the the, the background uh, in terms of of, of the process. And I do think that the chair as well has tried to highlight uh, some of the background information as far as uh, the work that we, we undertook. In 2018, 2019, uh, we embarked on this process of gender transformation as it has already been been highlighted, uh, where we were looking specifically into tertiary institutions. And because of budget uh, limitations, it's always difficult for us to go uh, national all all at once. And so we did, uh, we do uh, year on year, look into specific institutions of of, of higher learning. Um, Some of the processes that we we embarked on uh, were also influenced by quite a number of things. I think uh, there have been uh, quite a number of obvious uh, media reports that were looking into quite a number of issues, whether it's gender-based violence whether it's uh, sexual harassment, uh, but as well, uh, there has been some new things uh, that we're seeing that we're, were coming up that relates to sex for Um And so over and above, you know, the transformation agenda which we look into in terms of checking how we are faring as a country on issues of gender equality and transformation generally, uh, but uh, uh, at the back of that uh, uh, specific uh, matter, there were obviously those uh, specific issues that I have highlighted, and so we then engaged with uh, institutions as a way to try and check how they are doing and what is the kind of processes that they are following. The chair has already indicated that uh, at the at that in that financial year. Uh, we look specifically into University of Zululand, Nelson Mandela, So Plachi, Mpumalanga. Um, uh, but as well, whenever we engage with uh, uh, institutions of higher learning, we also make sure that we engage with the Department of Higher Education itself. And so across uh, all the, 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 the hearings that we have held, uh, we have had uh, the, the, the the department as well uh, there uh, to engage with them uh, as a respondent but also to request them that they are able to stay in you know throughout the week that we hold these processes uh, that they are able to hear uh, what we are putting forward when we are engaging with uh, some of these institutions um, and so we looked. Uh, well, I'll start specifically with with uh, 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 Unizulu uh, in terms of, of 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 the work that uh, uh, we we undertook. The chair has already highlighted that we look into policies. We look into you know quite a number of, of processes, and uh, we then analyze. Uh, we give them. Uh, we we do we give them a, a questionnaire, and in that questionnaire we endeavour to try and get uh, various information, uh, running from you know the number of uh, positions that they have in top eloquence, and try and get the statistics in terms of uh, how many positions are for the breakdown, uh, female, male, uh, people with disability. We look into policies, and uh, in terms of the policies, we also try and, and check um, what are the kind of policies that they have. Are they themselves following these policies? Are these policies that they have uh, in any way going to assist them in ensuring that uh, we follow um, you know, the gender transformation agenda that we have as, as, as a country and the like? So those are, you know, the specific uh, uh, matters that we we go into. Um, And because I've got a lot of universities chair, and because we had already uh, circulated this particular presentation, I may not go, you know, slide by slide where there are numbers there that members are are welcome, you know, to to have looked in terms of how much uh, of personnel was there, Uh, And how many uh, females, when we look into breakdown, uh, uh, females versus uh, 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 males, where are the majority of females concentrated? I think in this, uh, it's very clear that, uh, and in a lot of institutions, uh, uh, quite frankly, we do see a situation where uh, the concentration of our female uh, uh, employees, are always right at, at the bottom at administrative uh, kind of level positions and the like. So um, I won't get into, you know, those particular numbers. The numbers are there from... Uh, bu-
0: you know, can I interject a little bit? Um, can we request that you share your slides with us so that we, as you go slide by slide, then we're able to follow? Are you able to do that?
6: Uh, I'm going to try. I thought Anel, Anel, are you going to give me the the screen or my or should I send it to you so that is Anel in the meeting? Yes. You, um, you, you have the slides, Don't you have the screen on? Uh, you you have the rights to the screen, isn't it?
4: You can click share on the screen and uh, and also share the presentation. Mm.
6: Why does it look like I'm having problems here?
0: Okay, there's a share button at the bottom of your screen. So if you can just click on that and then share whatever documents that you have, PowerPoint.
6: That's the thing. I can't, I'm not locating my, let me just check.
4: I'm okay, not my,
6: my share button. Um, I thought it would be here on my panel, but.
0: It's not on your panel? No. Okay, yes. let's ask Anele. Have
6: I been given rights to the screen, Annele? Because you need, I I mean, the, 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 the person that has set up the meeting needs to give me rights so that I can have all the... Okay, see so, uh,
0: let's ask Anneli to reflect the, the presentation on the screen. Anneli, just share the presentation with us because she has sent it to you.
4: Noted, Chair. I'm
0: going to to slide number seven i think she was about to start with the uh, unizuno <clears throat> yeah.
4: Are you able to see Jen?
0: Yeah, have you selected the presentation? It does not come in. We can see your screen, but lots of your screen. Screen. yeah,
1: it's a.
0: So just go to the presentation and I'll Okay. All right, CEO, you can proceed now. You've got... I'm sure you can see slide number seven on the screen.
6: Yes, Chair. Um, in terms of what I was trying to say is that uh, uh, those numbers are there and I am not going to really look into the numbers. I'm hoping that the members have had an opportunity to go through the numbers to be able to see and um, exactly what are the kind of things that 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 we looked into and the kind of statistics that that we received uh, from UNIZULU specifically and I was wanting uh, to then rather uh, chair if uh, I'm allowed uh, to zoom uh, right to uh, what are the findings and the recommendations because from slide 7 to slide 11 we are just highlighting, you know, the numbers. We are highlighting, you know, the progress that, that has been there in terms of the numbers as well. And uh, we are also highlighting what we felt were the challenges, you know, as far as whether there was commitment and, and, and the likes. We had issues around, you know, uh, concerns in terms of interpretation for deaf, deaf students and, and the like. Uh, So I have, I'm just going to, if I'm allowed, Chair, to just zoom into the area that, you know, highlights uh, some of the issues uh, that we had uh, with uh, UNIZULU, uh, taking into account, you know, some of the statistics in those preceding slides, uh, Chair. when we look at at Unizulu we found that they did not have you know clear uh, mechanisms uh, to drive uh, gender transformation uh, and especially when you look at the top eloquence of 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 of, of, of leadership uh, at the at the institution um and uh, we do know that you know in some instances there seems to be at least we have a, a transformation a manager uh, that is there and uh, we take it that uh, that will also uh, is a move in the in the positive direction that will hopefully uh, give that particular person uh, a way to be able to advise accordingly uh, when it comes to recruitment of, of, of women candidates in in some of these uh, positions, uh, uh as, as as it has been highlighted and to also ensure that the uh, equity targets that uh, they had uh, put for themselves that they will be in a position to then uh, meet uh, uh, those um, we also recommended because uh, as i indicated we had issues that were highlighted that spoke to the issue of, of, of sign language Uh, we then engaged uh, uh, from our reports to say perhaps UNIZULU should look into appointing uh, some sort of sign language practitioner uh, with immediate effect so that they are able to assist the deaf uh, uh, students uh, with interpretation uh, during uh, uh, lectures. Um, And so that's that's the second uh, issue that we looked into. Annela uh, moving now to uh, slide 13, please. Um, we also, uh, obviously, uh, the chair has, I uh, highlighted that there are, you know, policies uh, that that we look into policies and check exactly, you know, how far, what are the kind of policies that they have, uh, whether these policies are adopted and the like. Um, And other than, you know, the previous policies that we had highlighted, I think in the previous uh, slide, we had also indicated some policies that they had uh, employment equity and and, and the like. I think that was slide nine that was at the time trying to highlight uh, uh, what was happening uh, in terms of policies. Uh, In slide uh, 13, we also, uh, you know, try and highlight, you know, the policies, that uh, they, they we have highlighted that they should be looking into putting in place i think chair uh, i hope i won't confuse you, uh, the members because in as much as we are looking at a report for 2018 2019 we do undertake follow-up processes where we have put out a report and we have findings and recommendations uh, each year we go back each financial year we go back and try and check how far uh, 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 you know the the respondents that we would have engaged with on some of these hearings are, in terms of uh, ensuring that they bring uh, or they have uh, uh, what is it that they have done on our recommendations? Have they taken them forward and the like? Um, and so we took into account that uh, we recommended that they should urgently look into adopting a gender policy. Gender-Based Violence Policy and Sexual Harassment uh, Policies. And these are important uh, policies, uh, Chair, I'm sure as members would agree, uh, that uh, are right at the heart of some of the issues that we have seen happening. Uh, Gender-Based Violence has been rife in our society, but even more so we have seen, you know, some of the issues that were happening in in our universities. Uh And so it was quite important uh, for us uh, to ensure that they look into that. A gender policy is a policy that would also assist them in (coughs) ensuring that they are able to gender mainstream properly uh, 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 when they uh, run their business uh, uh, at the university. Uh, We also recommended that um, they should look into putting gender transformation as one of the key performance indicators in, in the, in the, in, in the contracts of, of senior managers and, and, and as well as uh, the, the, the gender transformation um, uh, officer. And we were doing this uh, because we do uh, find that a lot of times when you engage with executives on issues around gender transformation, you just get a one-liner that just says, we can't find women. Um, and so uh, we don't think that that, that that is proper. As a commission, whenever we engage with institutions, we try and uh, say they must think out of the box. They must go beyond you know, the call of duty in ensuring that we achieve and realize our gender transformation uh, agenda. As, as, as a country. And the only way to be able to do that is to ensure that we have proper policy environment that will allow for this to actually take place, uh, uh, in terms of having all the policies, the right policies that will assist, the policies that will ensure that our environment is accommodative of our female folk, but as well to take it further to ensure that um, the, the executives, do have a specific uh, um, um, thing on their performance agreements that then says uh, where you appoint, where you have appointed, uh, what have you looked into, have you been able to, to, to appoint. Because a lot of times people just have these plans. The plans are there. You may find that we want to reach so many people, but there isn't anything else that actually is put in place to support and ensure that those particular plans. Uh, uh actually uh, take place and we are able to reach the kind of targets that we would have uh, put for ourselves on some of these uh, processes uh, next slide at uh, 14 we uh, are highlighting in this slide that um because at the time we could not get a properly disaggregated data as far as people with disabilities was concerned we had then requested uh, 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 them to ensure that they they are able to make effective use of their recruitment policy to include uh, persons with disabilities in their workforce uh, employment equity is a, is a is a legislation that all of us um, are supposed to adhere to and i think a lot of institutions, Uh, uh, really uh, suffer when it comes to issues around uh, uh, including uh, persons with disabilities in our workforce. There are percentages that the country has put forward that all of us are supposed to adhere to, and uh, it's one of the challenges that uh, uh, we highlighted. When we were having engagements with the university, at that point in time, we also had, you know, some complaints or some issues that were coming around that uh, highlighted the fact that in this particular university uh, when students are pregnant, there was those allegations that when they are pregnant they get uh, expelled from the campus residence when they are in their uh, last trimester um, And so we, we then also indicated to them that this is what we, we uh, you know has come to our attention and uh, we will be investigating that as, as, as the commission in order to, to check in terms of uh, what has happened, whether there's veracity to those allegations uh, and, and the like. So that's what we, we had uh, uh, highlighted. And so we then uh, decided that we will be able to still continue uh, in terms of, of looking into uh, what needed to be done, uh, as far as, as 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 that particular point was uh, was 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 concerned, so the idea was we'll then utilise section 11 that gives us investigative powers to then look into that specific allegations as far as a, a, a pregnancy is is is, is concerned. Uh, uh, there's, there's a report chair that that we have highlighted, so I'm not really going to get uh, uh, too deep into into some of these things. Um, the next uh, a, a slide, we were looking at uh, Nelson Mandela and, and similarly uh, to what we see, saw in UniZulu, uh, we still uh, looked into uh, quite a number of, of, of processes taking into account issues around gender transformation, uh, uh, rape, rape culture and sexual assault and, 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 and the like. And so uh, we also gave them the, the, in similar way, we gave them the the questionnaire and we were able to then get, you know, the number of academic staff and and try and break down that into uh, various uh, percentages in terms of uh, uh, what was there. So I won't uh, also, similarly with the previous one, I won't get into... You know the specific uh, 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 percentages. uh, Safe to also uh, uh, highlight that uh, uh, NMU had actually also during our engagements indicated you know the kind the kind of number of you know sexual harassment cases that they were dealing with and the like. Uh, that information is also uh, there under under slide slide 17 in terms of uh, what what needed uh, uh, to be done, um, and uh, as uh, chair had said, we do look into quite a number of things, especially where there are these issues on gender-based violence, whether there's proper security that is there, and uh, there were quite a number of issues, you know, that that came out uh, in terms of. Uh, them having CCTV and uh, you know regular meetings with SAPS and the like, uh, so that information was uh, uh, highlighted. us quickly, if I can just highlight that, um, we as the commission observed that uh, there was progression in respect of gender representation. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, genders, uh, sorry, academic staff. If you look uh, at where they were in 2005, and at the point when we were engaging with them, there was that move to 51%. Uh, top senior management uh, positions, uh, uh, they do favour uh, women, and and men, you know, uh, dominate. Um, Men dominate in the other, you know, professional qualified uh, bands uh, of management, uh, mid-management, and also unskilled. Um, so we also observed that um, NMU falls short in respect of uh, a gender, you know, parity of staff members in the faculties of science, uh, uh, engineering, and, and, and the like and in respect of uh this professionally qualified bands uh we highlighted that they may just need to to see you know what they need to do we raise a red flag there to say that uh, uh, more women you know should also be uh, used to populate these other bands these other professional bands uh, uh, especially looking at what we are trying to do as an institution when it comes to uh, engineering faculties, the science faculties, and the like, uh, 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 having you know gender issues there, and and not having a, a, a requisite number. Uh, even with students, we know students, we know that we have a, a similar issue. We also noted that uh, people with disabilities uh, were also uh, uh, underrepresented. Uh, uh, looking into obviously the the percentages. Uh, that uh, the, the 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 country has put uh, uh, in place, um, and so uh, the idea was uh, that the, uh, we even though we recognized that uh, they had uh, sort of absorbed at the time an uh, excess of, of 900, uh, you know, previously outsourced workers, uh, which then obviously had to skew their 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 statistics. Uh, when you look at before uh, that particular policy of getting people taking absorbing the outsourced uh, 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 staff members, they still had you know quite a, 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 a reputable number uh, of 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 uh, people with disabilities. Looking at it uh, from from the perspective of uh, the targets uh, that we have as a country. But, however, because they had just put in place those particular strategies, uh, then those particular numbers uh, were thrown out. And so we then uh, did make that particular observation to say, now that uh, the outsourced uh, uh, has now increased the numbers and now their percentages are falling short, they need to then come up with further strategies to ensure that uh, they are able to reach uh, the targets as have been put uh, in the country we also commended them uh, on their integrated policy framework which actually incorporated gender transformation uh, as far as the objectives of, of, of that policy was concerned and and we noted uh, that uh, despite Nmu holding you know an extensive policy framework, We still had uh, a concern that there is inadequate, you know, flexi time policy, childcare policy, uh, and we wanted them to explore this. So, uh, when we look into policies, we look into the kind of policies that these institutions have and check whether uh, these policies are able to create an enabling legislation, I mean, environment as far as. Uh, employment of, of female candidates are concerned and even as much as we were quite happy with you know some of the policies progressively that they have put in place uh, we still felt that there are further things that they can actually uh, put in place uh, to ensure that they're able to uh, even much more Ensure that their enabling uh, uh, environment is actually fertile. So, we had then said they must then look into issues around flexi policies. And by the way, flexi time policy for uh, both, uh, both genders um, and, and, and the like, childcare facilities, uh, 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 so that uh, uh, people can be able uh, to do their work without you know, thinking. I have to go that way and leave the child there and whatever. So it is some of the things that we then engage with them, with a lot of institutions when we do gender transformation, just to say that will create a much more fertile and enabling legislation, I mean environment, uh, to ensure that uh, we get uh, women. We also found that their policies were not um, reviewed uh, 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 by annually. And so we recommended that uh, they must commit to have their policies reviewed um, uh, so that uh, we also take into account. There are changes that that happen in our legal uh, framework. There are new ways of doing things. It's always an important thing uh, to ensure that we have uh, uh, institutions, all institutions, uh, look into their policies every now and again and review and update them uh, accordingly
0: um, you. If... um i'm just worried about time um, yes, can... Uh, can you can you please just wrap up in the next 10 minutes i think the 40 minutes allocated is almost like a Done. So, if you can wrap up in the next thirty minutes, at uh, let's see, what time is it now? Uh, At five minutes past four, then you can uh, conclude.
6: Okay, thanks, chair. I think chair. um, uh, Thank you for that. Um, When you look really into uh, soul blackie as well. Um, we do find the issues of underrepresentation as far as top management and the like is, is, is concerned. Uh, we we really uh, at Soap Lucky like saw uh, quite a, a huge uh, a number or, or percentage of male domination in some of the, the manage, top management positions. I think we have put there 90 uh, uh, to to 10 percent. And so that was the the biggest issue uh, that that we also had that we uh, needed to, to engage with, and um, people with disabilities as well was one issue that we had raised uh, that we found that there was absolutely uh, 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 no one uh, uh, within the employ uh, uh, that had uh, 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 that <clears throat> was uh, within that uh, categorization. Um, and uh, we also, uh, the same way that we picked up issues around the deaf and the visually impaired students, we found that uh, there may be a level of discrimination there uh, when, you know, the institution does not make provision, uh, proper provision for impaired uh, students. Um, we also found that uh, there are some policies that they don't have which policies we thought are important Uh, policies on gender uh, hiv and AIDS, succession career pathing staff retention and and the like those are some of the policies that uh, we had we had found that they didn't uh, have and uh, some of the policies do not even refer to you know provisions of You know some of the protocols that we are we are following, which if they do, may just also assist them in ensuring that they are able to reach you know some of the targets and improve on some of the elements uh, that that we have highlighted. Um, We recommended that they allocate a budget to support gender transformation and come up with some programs and some initiatives uh, that will ensure that women are developed and so accelerate. Their promotion, uh, looking into the fact that we're looking at 90% as opposed to 10% of of, of women in some of these positions, um, we observed that they didn't have a sexual harassment policy uh, that was applicable to students, and uh, we recommended that they develop one um, and also extend the scope of application. Uh, or rather even looking to extending the scope of application of the one that they had that was looking into staff members uh, uh, only uh, We found that uh, they don't have uh, programs in place to deal with issues around gender-based violence and the scourge um, and, uh, uh, and And, uh, and uh, we they that programs in place to support victims of gender-based violence but as well uh, they disca- which will then discourage the possibility of withdrawal of cases and the like um, and so uh, those are some of the issues when it comes to uh, University of Mpumalanga um we also you know observed um, that um, they had appointed uh, an executive director who forms part of management who was also a, tra- a gender transformation manager. Um, and uh, we were, you know, quite happy because a lot of times you see some of these uh, gender transformation managers being at a, at a lower level. Uh, we recommended the implementation of an employment equity plan uh, to ensure that they are able to transform uh, uh, properly. Um, And so uh, we also indicated that they must institute uh, strict measures uh, such as dialogues, workshops and campaigns and the like to sensitize sensitize the community on some of the policies that they have, like your sexual harassment and and, and the like. Uh, We had highlighted uh, a a lot of, of things. And we have also given them a sense of what are the kind of policies that they should be uh, uh, looking into. Um, as far as the, the uh, DHET is, is, is concerned as well, like I said, we do engage uh, with them and, and uh, look into some of the things that we think they should be doing uh, for the department itself, but as well in terms of, uh, you know, support that they give to institutions of, 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 of higher learning. Um, and uh, looking into quite a number of issues that we had, we had quite a number of uh, recommendations uh, that we had given to them. Uh, the importance of gender mainstreaming uh, 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 policies that must be in place. Uh, uh, and if uh, D had leads by example and has some of these policies, we have no doubt that even some of the institutions of higher learning... Uh, will be in a position to then uh, follow suit. So uh, I I won't read through, Chair, uh, due to time uh, constraints, as as was highlighted. uh, The the recommendations are there. They are very clear uh, that we made to Dhat, and we will uh, be uh, happy to to take uh, questions. Um, I think the biggest thing that we also wanted Dhat to do is to deal with the issue Of the scourge of gender-based violence, in terms of you know finding ways to ensure that uh, there are policies that are there uh, uh, within institutions of higher learning uh, uh, that will look into 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 some of these uh, 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 processes, and we are aware that at some point um, the the uh, higher education HIV and AIDS uh, had you know some process. Uh, where they had uh, then put in a draft a policy that was supposed to guide institutions of higher learning in terms of what to deal and how to deal with issues around gender-based violence and the like. Uh, however, uh, from where we're sitting, we're still uh, not sure exactly, you know, how far that process was. We were invited uh, when when the draft was being engaged at some point. Uh, but we think that it's something that still needs to be looked uh, closely into in ensuring that uh, that policy is is adopted and it's able to guide uh, a lot of institutions. We see people doing different things, and depending on whether you have a good relationship with SAPS and the like, uh, uh, so uh, that's why we thought it would be important that at DHET level, Uh, there is the policy that uh, is put in place as a guideline in terms of what institutions of higher learning uh, should be doing. Um, uh, In conclusion, Chair, uh, we have noted that uh, transformation within uh, tertiary institutions is really uh, taking place at a a slow pace uh, with women and people with disabilities still being uh, underrepresented in a, a number of levels, whether it's top senior and in some instances, uh, uh, academic positions, um, and the measures that are put in place by institutions of higher learning uh, have not necessarily progressively increased uh, uh, women and people with disabilities in some of these positions. Um, the commissioner, the commission, however, you know, will continue, obviously, to monitor the progress. And uh, uh, you know we we'll call uh, we keep calling institutions to come back so that we engage with them to see how far they are as far as progress is, 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 is concerned. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are able to then uh, uh, take it uh, uh, forward chair and hopefully be in a position to know uh, how far uh, they are and what are the kind of problems that they do have. We do also give them, uh, you know uh, advice uh, whenever we look into their policies We do say you must go back put your policies in place and you are welcome to give those drafts to us So that we can then uh, look into them and make inputs. Thanks, Chair
0: Thank you very much, uh, CEO May uh, Maema uh, Thank you for the presentation I see their hands from two members. I don't know whether they are indicating their intention to engage with the report as soon as we are done, or they want to comment now because we are still left with one one presentation on PowerVec. Can I check from Honourable Zulu? Why is your hand up?
1: Yeah, I was to the report. I'm happy to wait okay
0: all right let's wait for uh, for the next presentation and then we can engage uh, there's somebody's mic who somebody has got this mic on uh, please let's just mute the mic uh, Please uh, let's just get all the participants to mute their mics so that we don't get some disturbances. Uh, There is a noise, uh, I think there is a child who's uh, playing around, Uh, and so we can hear the sound of the child. So, if we can get whoever's mic is on, please just mute the mic so that you don't get to be disturbed. All right, uh, can we hand over to the department? Uh, I think it's the DDG. You will then introduce your delegation and take us through. Uh, th-
4: thank you so much, uh, Chair and Honorable Members. Um, this, my name is Mboneni Mwafi, I'm the DDG for Technology Innovation at the Department of Science and Innovation. I'm going to um, give a very brief introduction and then I've got uh, joining me here uh, Ms. Claudina Rhodes, who is the Director for Health Innovation in the department and then I've got the Chief Executive Officer of Baovec uh, Dr. Morena Makwana who's going to do the presentation. Uh, just a very brief um, introduction honorable members Biovac is the South African vaccine company um, which is one of the few in the continent, and I think um, Dr. Makwana will provide some more details in that regards. Uh, but it is the company where states uh, the state owns 47.5% shareholding, and it was established primarily to revitalize uh, some of the um, capabilities around vaccine manufacturing that were lost. Um, just uh, uh, post-democracy. So I think uh, in the presentation, Dr. Makwana will be able to take us through where we've come from, uh, what we have done to try and reposition BioVac and where we are today, especially given the current challenges around the need to be able to respond to global outbreaks of uh, epidemics such as the one that we're dealing with. So I'm going to hand over to Dr. Magwana to take us through the presentation.
5: Uh, good afternoon, uh, Chaperson, and thank you Bonini for uh, having um, introduced uh, the company uh, and myself. I have a presentation to share. I believe that the committee may have received the presentation already. The one that I'm sharing will be uh, a slightly amended version, but the contents are the same. And uh, I trust that the the presentation is now now up on, on the screen. Um, so, what I will do, Chair, uh, if I can, is around the outline, I would like, firstly, before I talk about BioVac, is to talk about the vaccines. A lot of people do not understand the importance of vaccines, or if some of them do, do not um, uh, fully recognize the uh, what is needed to develop a vaccine. So, I'm going to talk about that. I will then go into BioVac and... If we do have a little bit of time, I can talk about COVID-19 and the challenge that not only uh, South Africa has, but that Africa has as far as the vaccine is concerned. Therefore, starting um, with uh, the world that we live in. So this slide is a picture of what um, Gavi put up. Maybe I must start by... Sharing with members how the ecosystem within vaccine works. So many of you know about immunization, and vaccines are mainly there to prevent diseases, and uh, not as a treatment option, but to um, uh, um, as a form of prevention uh, of diseases. Now, what this slide is showing is that Gavi undertook a study where they said that amongst some interventions and they've taken some interventions. So starting on the right of your slide, there's the cardiovascular disease research, government bonds, community health workers, public infrastructure, preschool education. And they say if they have to compare any of those interventions in terms of the return on investment as a country, which one do you get the best return? And immunization certainly comes out as number one in terms of saving healthcare costs low wages and productivity due to illness now many of you may ask uh, who is this gavi and who did uh, this type of work so gavi is an organization it's a global alliance for for vaccines that was established about 20 years ago and its main purpose is to raise funds for the least developed countries and uh, and it raises funds from Uh, mainly the G7 countries, the likes of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And uh, once those funds are raised, they then procure vaccines at a large scale, mainly for uh, the least developed countries. I will take you through some of that mechanism, but I just wanted to maybe start by, um, for those that may not fully appreciate, but I I would like to believe that most Africans uh, believe in immunization, but that the return on investment of any dollar that it gets saved, that there is quite a significant uh, uh, return. And hence, uh, government ought to continue investing in, uh, in vaccines. Um, this slide here just shows you the difference in terms of the world that we live in when it comes to um, uh, uh, the, the dynamics of vaccines. So at the top, if you look at what is in the middle that line, that red line, is that on the left is industrialized countries. And on the right is developing uh, countries. So the population, as we know, uh, is mainly in developing countries. That's the that's the orange bar. The burden of disease of vaccine preventable disease is mainly in the developing countries. However, when it comes to the value of vaccines in terms of where vaccines, uh, particularly from a value perspective, it lies more in industrial industrialized countries. So why is this important? Uh, this is quite important because. As I take you through the story of Biovac and what's happening on the continent as far as vaccine manufacture, many of you may wonder why do we not have vaccine manufacturing capability if Africa is a place that needs the vaccines more. So, yes, we have the burden of, uh, of disease and we have the, the high level of population. However, uh, uh, the procurement mechanism and how the value lies is more skewed towards industrialized countries. Hence, the manufacturing is mainly even um, a position there. But let's talk about manufacture. So let's talk about where who's manufacturing vaccines and where in the world. And so you will see that um, when you look at the dots, this, this just doesn't necessarily talk about the number of, um, of vaccine manufacturers. There are a lot more. Uh, out there, But what is, what is demonstrating is where they are located. So we have uh, large multinational organizations, many of them that you, I'm sure you hear about on a daily basis that are based in US, Europe, and some of it are based in Australia. Um, and yet you have the developing world manufacturers, many of which, if you just look at where a lot of those green dots um, are focused, are mainly in Asia. India is a large manufacturer, China is a large manufacturer, and we have Indonesia and others that are manufacturing vaccines. And we have some also that are in Latin America, Brazil, Argentina and others. However, when you look at the continent of Africa, I mean, there are only four dots there. And the red dot at the bottom being uh, Bivik. Being However, the rest of the dots that are up there is one institution in Senegal, uh, one in Egypt and one in Tunisia and their capacity is extremely limited and a lot of what they do is either for domestic use and a lot of them don't have international uh, reach uh, maybe with ex- uh, with exception uh, of senegal but they are they have very limited uh, manufacturing capability so so what i'm trying to 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 demonstrate is that vaccines are most needed on the continent of africa however um, the the manufacturing capability does not exist, and this essentially uh, goes to um, what uh, um, what Mr. Buhle has started off with, in that uh, you know this is essentially what gave birth to the likes of Biovec when government had the vision uh, in the late '90s to say South Africa should surely plug uh, a gap of some sort. Just expanding further about the procurement mechanism. So I've, I think I've outlined uh, how um, um, uh, vaccines are procured. So what this picture is showing is that most of the African continent is dependent on donors for vaccines. So if you look at the top, so a lot of the value of what's going into these countries that are shaded in either dark blue or light blue. So one one and a half billion dollars. Um, is essentially being procured for these countries. 2.35 billion doses are actually going into these countries and, um, and 2,600 shipments. So there's quite a lot of vaccines that are going through there. Now, that is what the likes of Gavi are procuring for those countries. Now, you will see where does South Africa fit into this picture. South Africa is shaded in white, and it's shaded in white because it's purchasing vaccines out of its own pocket just like many other middle-income countries are, or like other uh, well-developed countries, and there's a criteria that WHO and others use about the economic status of a country. They use a GNI uh, per capita, and if you're above a particular uh, number, uh, then you're not eligible for donor for uh, for donor funding. So, 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 what does this mean, uh, Chair? And uh, in terms of vaccine manufacture. Essentially, it says that the African continent is in need of vaccines. However, Africa does not buy vaccines itself. It's, it's leaving that to the large donor organizations that are based in uh, in Denmark and, uh, and, and Geneva and others. And so the pool procurement that happens there, that's how the rest of the continent gets supplied. Therefore, it's extremely difficult for many countries to establish their own vaccine manufacturing capability, because even their own countries are not buying uh, originally. You know, their own treasury does not allocate uh, money for uh, uh, for local procurement of vaccines. So these are some of the challenges as we go through that um, we have to face in terms of how to not only supply the domestic market, but to also be able to have international reach. So I thought that maybe with these few slides that I should just paint the picture before I go into BioVac. But also just to have this quote here uh, from WHO. So WHO also looked at technology transfers and essentially they say that uh, it takes between five to 10 years uh, in terms of getting technology transfers. So what does this mean? You know, And I'll take you through our story. Vaccines is an extremely difficult um, uh, area of pharmaceuticals. So we are part of the ph- pharmaceutical world However, we occupy a niche space, being the biologicals. And that is an extremely difficult uh, space that we work in. If I can just make a simple example, Chair, in terms of how I like to describe the world of vaccines, because you're dealing with bacteria and viruses that you have to transform and weaken them and add other issues into it, how you produce vaccines, uh, I, I, I like saying to people that we're a little bit like farmers. A farmer would have his uh, his piece of land, he would have the same people that are working uh, on the land, and but he would get different yields each year. So even if you have the same crop of maize, you have the same infrastructure, but you get different yields. Because uh, being like a farmer, you're dealing with natural products and the rain and everything else. Vaccines and biologicals are somewhat similar to that. It doesn't mean that you know, um, there's what we call batch-to-batch variation. So what, you, what you're what you doing today, even if you're doing the same thing tomorrow, there may be some changes because you're dealing uh, uh, with live products and bacteria and things that are really coming from nature, if I can try and simplify it that way. So, 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 so Chair, this is the first section that I just wanted to open up with so that uh, honorable members can be able to understand why vaccine manufacturing is so um, array on the continent uh, and why it's so difficult and why it's so capital intensive. But let me go to what's happening at BioVac and who we are. So this slide, um, um, Chair, it gives you a little bit of history in that um, South Africa actually used to have vaccine manufacturing capability that was established in the 50s and the 30s uh, and the 60s. There were three institutions two of which were based in Johannesburg, and that was the NIV and the SAIMR, and one was based in Cape Town, being the the SVI, the State Vaccine Institute. You will see when they are established, and you will see that they used to produce some of the vaccines, uh, some of which are, are still needed. Now, I must make a disclaimer that these vaccines were produced using very old technology. So it wasn't the modern technology, but they worked for the time that they needed to the production ceased between 1995 2000 and 2001 and this was before my time uh, chair but essentially from the mid 80s uh, with the sanctions and when apartheid was starting to uh, to you know when it started to see the uh, the light of its cessation obviously the economy was in a bad shape and at the time. Um, the government uh, of the time didn't invest in the life of vaccine manufacturing capability. So over a course of about 10 to 15 years, these institutions uh, essentially came to, to a standstill. And at that time, the biotechnology world was going in a different direction. It was booming and it was going up. However, at that time, the state before 1994 was not investing in vaccine manufacturing capability. Uh, post-1994, Again, it was uh, 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 before uh, Biovax time. There was a review that was done uh, between 1994 and 1999 about what needed to happen. And essentially, a decision was made to revive vaccine manufacture, but in a manner that would not repeat uh, um, uh, the previous mistake of, uh, of state-owned and having other uh, uh, issues impacting on it. And a PPP was then uh, formed. Uh, there were bids that, uh, uh, that were ran, and just to fast track, um, is that that culminated into a public-private partnership uh, that started in 2003, where, uh, the, where the state still retains a significant shareholding, as per what um, Mr. Moffat described when he started, and, um, and the the Consortium, also led by management, um, uh, has an equity stake. And essentially, our mandate... Is to establish vaccine manufacturing and ensure that there's a supply, um, there's the smooth supply of vaccines throughout the country. The formal PPP comes to an end uh, uh, this month in actual fact, and now Biovac is participating in the tenders that uh, Department of Health has taken out. So the the era of the PPP as how it was envisioned in 2003 is coming to an end, and now we're getting into a new era. Being a company that has government shareholding um and that's what we are getting ourselves into let's talk a little bit about what we are doing and who and what we stand for in the middle chair of this red uh, block is that we want to be a center of excellence rooted in africa for the development and manufacture of affordable quality vaccines for africa and the developing world's needs those words were chosen carefully number one we want to be a center of excellence we are rooted in africa which we have already outlined why the need is there We want to make sure that whatever vaccines that we can uh, make, that they're affordable, but they're also of quality. And obviously, we want to make sure that the developing world uh, also benefits from what we are going to do. And that's our vision. And around our vision is issues of establishing vaccine production capability, economic viability, retention of vaccine production skills, establishing R&D capability, create a platform for export, and finally enable triple PEE. And this is what, from the start, has been guiding BioVac in how it's been going about. So this picture that I'm presenting, Chair, is what we took over. So what? So, so in 2003, we took over one of those entities that was the State Vaccine Institute. The others had been transformed to what is now the National Health Laboratory Services uh, in Sandringham into in Johannesburg. Uh, but the State Vaccine Institute is what we took over and you will see that there's a picture of what it was like pre-2003 and what it has undergone and transformed so this is how it's looking like we are located not too far from parliament um and uh, in um in in parliament, so we're really between the the airport uh, uh, and the city and this is how um our um, uh, our, um, our facility has uh, been able to transform this picture chair, uh, I now won't go into a lot of the technical details. I think the slides are there. What I'm trying to demonstrate with this and maybe I can just go clockwise starting from the left, is to say that we have quality control labs. Quality control is a very important thing. you need to test whatever comes out of the um, out of the facilities. You need to test and make sure that the vaccine works. You need to test that those uh, vaccines are sterile, that they're not going to be harmful. You need to test uh, and make sure that they work, and you also need to test the environment in which uh, the vaccines are made. So the quality control is something that's quite important, and that regulatory authorities scrutinize quite a lot. Cold room storage is uh, is quite important. Vaccines are typically a cold chain product. Essentially, they need to be in the fridge between 2 and 8 degrees. Because they're biological products, you know, they need to remain in the fridge. Uh, a little bit like mock, but obviously in a little bit more sophisticated uh, infrastructure than how you would uh, put MOC. Um, and the other buildings are essentially where we manufacture. So what we call building C and C1 and all of those is where we actually manufacture the vaccine. So I won't go into, for the sake of time, into the technical um, um, uh, issues around that. If you had to go into the facilities, uh, which uh, many of us, even myself as the CEO of the company, are not allowed to go into because these are sterile facilities. You can see how the people gown up, and this is how our facilities look, and this is how our people work in those environments. You must understand that vaccines mainly, a lot of them get given to kids. Obviously, the adult vaccines like the flu vaccine and the future vaccine is like uh, COVID vaccines likely to be uh, an adult vaccine. But we're giving vaccines to healthy people, and we should not do any harm. So the environment under which we work has to be strictly regulated. All of this infrastructure has to be maintained. Whether you are doing one vial or whether you're doing all of this has to be maintained, this goes on to the high cost of maintaining the infrastructure and why many people dare not even come into the sector. I mean, if you look at South Africa, we have very many pharmaceutical manufacturers. However, nobody has naturally gravitated towards vaccine manufacturing because it's such a very expensive um, uh, and very labor-intensive and capital-intensive uh, infrastructure that has to be kept up. And also to some extent, uh, you know, some of people see the returns not being as lucrative as the, as the traditional uh, vaccine manufacturer. So what have we done in terms of enabling vaccine manufacture? We have undergone a strategy uh, that is what we call a reverse integration strategy and starting on my right uh, we've been doing packaging and labeling and the logos that you see at the bottom are some of the partners that we have so we partner with various companies both from the east and from the west so we we have partnered with a cuban company called hebat biotech they were one of our our earlier partners and hepatitis b vaccine that essentially gets given uh, to most of South African children is coming uh, from cuba we do some of the packaging and labeling we have a company from Denmark called A.J. Vaccines. The P.C.G. vaccine against tuberculosis comes from that um, from that uh, uh, from that company. Uh, we have a company. Uh, both BioNet and BioPharma are giving us the measles vaccine uh, that is also being supplied. We're working also from in, in the West. We are working with uh, companies, multinationals like Sanofi and Pfizer, who have enabled technology uh, on the latest. Uh, Of the products that they have, so these are just not giving us the crumbs, but they're giving us the creme de la creme of uh, the vaccines that are that that the Department of Health is using um, in 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 what is called the expanded program on immunization. So we have a technology transfer with a French company called Sanofi, where we're going to be uh, filling some of the vials. So we have a tech transfer that we established. took about seven years, and I'm very happy to announce, Chair, that in August we'll be commencing that technology transfer, and really you'll be seeing vials going out of BioVac uh, to the facility coming out of that. At the moment we've been doing packaging and labelling of that that product, but now we're going live with a sterile manufacturer. With Pfizer, I'm also happy to announce that uh, we're doing a technology transfer. That technology transfer actually has to do with formulation, what we call the blending of the vaccine, Uh, the... the, um, Uh, Let me say the the technology is a little bit more complex than just blending. Uh, So that's allowing us to go upstream because ultimately, BioVec wants to go towards product development, where we can own our own technologies, where we can also be able to export. So it's a gradual process, Chair, that we need to follow. And ultimately, we are also into product development. So we haven't also forgotten that we also have a mandate around product development, around bacterial vaccines, and we have an exciting vaccine called GBS. That I won't have the time to take you through but just to know that we're also investing time and effort and also seeking additional funding in terms of uh, extending uh, our own product development that we can internationalize. Um, Chair, I am, I am supported by a staff complement uh, that is uh, 314 strong. Uh, we treasure our people and I must I must be very proud of the Biovex staff. You will see on the left that not only are we 314 people, but that we have a relatively low turnover of staff. And we believe that's because our staff really believe in what we do. They believe in immunization. They believe in sterile manufacture. They believe that we are a unique company that they would want to work for because they don't have other opportunities elsewhere to do. You know, anybody that wants to work in this space has to go to Europe or elsewhere. So we, we believe that we can uh, attract the skills and retain them and doing it in a manner that is transformative. A lot of what happens is that people are saying this is biotech sector. We can't find the skills. We can't do all of that. However, I think we can certainly prove that it can be done. You can be a transformed, highly skilled uh, company that. And so all of the pillars that we follow according to them uh, to the triple legislation whether it's about shareholder management control employment equity all of these we can definitely demonstrate that it's possible in the south african context so uh, so i think that's something that uh, we're, we're very proud of and obviously uh, um, you know our talent is something that we that we follow so we have what we call our a players and our b, b players and we nurture our staff very much the next slide share i'm also not going to go through a lot of detail for the sake of time but just to maybe uh, hone in on the, uh, on the pie graphs, the one in the middle, that shows that we do employ quite high caliber skills. So we contribute to the knowledge economy. Um, so we have a lot of our staff. You can see that a lot of them um, uh, are either having diplomas, bachelor's, master's, honours, and PhDs. And these are, these are South Africans. You know, we have, I think, one, only one foreign national uh, the last time we checked. Uh, but everybody else is South African, and you could see that we spend quite a lot in the second pie chart in terms of skills development. And those skills development are, you know, are varied between technical skills, soft skills, internship, uh, and leadership. And we also work quite closely with the Department of Science and Innovation in terms of the internship development and to bring in, in uh, interns that can also be shared with the rest of uh, with the rest uh, uh, of the sector. Um, Moving on, Chair, and again, I won't go through the details of this slide that is reflected, but I just wanted to to, to reassure members that what we are doing is uh, quite impactful, that it can even be measured in money terms. So we employ 314 people, okay, we, uh, we import and supply vaccines, we do packaging and labelling and we're going into filling. How do we translate all of that into economic terms? So um, we did a study that demonstrates that of the 1.7 billion rand that the state spends on, on children's vaccine, that because of BioVac's existence and essentially the people that we employ, the engineering services and the surrounding ecosystem that we have, that BioVac contributes $650 million to the South African economy. This is even before taxes uh, are included. So it's a positive impact so the net um, uh, amount is actually about one, uh, 1.1 billion rather than uh, the gross amount of 1.7 billion so i'm hoping that and i'm hoping that i'm talking to the converted here that the efforts that are there in terms of bringing up biotech sector can be demonstrated uh, to work we still have a very long uh, road to walk uh, and a very long path uh, but we have something that at least South Africans can be proud of. It just needs to be nurtured, it needs to be supported, and it needs to go further. My last uh, point here, uh, or my last section, let me say, is around uh, how does COVID vaccine, I'm sure a lot of uh, uh, honourable members are asking, okay, so we've heard this, so so what's happening as far as COVID vaccine is concerned? So just to remind honourable members that, um, again, it's going back that, Africa is not geared up for uh, COVID vaccine manufacture. Whether it's COVID uh, manufacture or it's even flu vaccines, that we are not necessarily in a position to respond to vaccine preventable diseases. And I think this is why we continuously seek support, not only of the Department of Science and Innovation, but of the Department of Health, of Treasury, of DECO, or all government stakeholders to say, can we grow this sector in a manner that can plug the gap not only for south africa but for africa we want to build the little that we have in order to plug this gap so at the moment we are not ready for COVID vaccine which is why a lot of the headlines that you will hear i'm sure you've heard many companies and many uh, um uh, uh, announcements around the us has made many announcements as a as a government they're putting billions into supporting uh, uh, the vaccine manufacturers that are mainly in the U.S., the Pfizer's of the world, the j of the world, you'll hear about that. I'm sure in Europe you'll hear about what the U.K. government is doing in supporting uh, the likes of AstraZeneca, GSK, Sanofi in France, and all of that. The Japanese government is also doing that. And that's because they already have some existing infrastructure, and that's large infrastructure. Okay, And I think COVID is reminding us that we should be looking towards the future so that we can respond to the next pandemic. COVID is here now and we will live with it now. However, these pandemics are not going our way and Africa cannot be left behind. Uh, and we, and t- unless we start now, in 2030 or 2040, uh, we will still be talking about the same thing. And our successors are going to be pointing fingers at us and say, but you should have learned from COVID. What, what did you do knowing that? So what we are doing as BioVac is that we have limited infrastructure and we cannot do everything. Now, the technology platforms are quite varied when it comes to vaccine manufacture. And what we did, and uh, together with um, uh, with a, the with a DSI, we said that if a vaccine was to come out of the manufacturers that are developing it, where can BioVac play a meaningful role? So we cannot develop a COVID vaccine. We are too small and it's a viral Based vaccine we are we are mainly on the bacterial side of um, that's what we've at the moment been able to develop but even vaccine was to come where would it come from so I won't go into the details but just to just to show members where uh, what we have done is that we've looked at the vaccine platform and that is what is the column on the um, uh, on the left you know, there's some RNA-based vaccines, DNA, that is what is on the left. And then we looked at developers and say, who's developing these vaccines? And that if BioVac, and then we've tried to match what the developers are doing and where BioVac's infrastructure can fit in. So you will see that others, let's say the blocks that are in red, uh, the biosafety levels that are required, uh, BioVac doesn't have that infrastructure. However, on some, we can certainly play a role, whether it's on the formulation of or finishing side, and uh, the, the DSI has been quite active and working with uh, um, uh, with Deco and others in sending feelers out. And we as Biovac are also trying to do to those that are developing a COVID vaccine, raising our hand and say, Biovac is here, South Africa is here. Can we work together? And many of you may have also heard from what the president's speech was that um, you know we are open to receive technology from those that have it. So in the short term, this is what we can do, uh, uh, Chair, as Biovec. You know, we can plug in some gaps. We just are seeking the right partners that can enable us to do this. Because as we know, everybody's going to be selfish, and and all governments are going to try and hoard. So how are we going to be able to open up? And we need to find innovative mechanisms, and we need to use the lever of government to be able to have the bilateral discussions for us to be open up so that BioVec also plays its role not only for uh, South Africans but also for um, uh, also for Africans. Uh, I'm coming towards the end of my slide, uh, chair. Uh, I mean, from my presentation, and again, I won't go into the uh, to the details of this one. However, in the short term, uh, and those are just in words, we can probably plug in a gap of about 10 million vials, and depending on on what we can put into those vials, and that can essentially translate to about. 20 to 30 million doses that we can produce for South Africans. Or if we can export, that would be fantastic. However, we also need to look towards the future. Uh, a lot of companies that we've engaged with are saying, BioVac, yes, you need some biosafety levels. What can we do? And we need to start thinking about the future, that what's going to happen in three to five years time. And we need to build bigger capacity that would get into the 50 and 100 million dose for the next pandemic or even for routine vaccines. That needs additional funding, but that also needs um, a lot of support. And with that, we can easily create an additional 500 jobs that would essentially be science related. So we can essentially uh, uh, double the capacity that we've already uh, uh, have had. So in summary, uh, chair, um, you know, we're on the packaging and labeling and distribution. We've been doing that for a while and we are fine formulation and filling. We do have some uh, capacity. It may be limited for larger quantities, but we do have that. API stands for active pharmaceutical uh, manufacture. Uh, we do have some limited ones, but that's an area that even the DSR has been prodding us to say, BioVac, how about we go to uh, API manufacturer? So it's something that we are looking at. And we really need to start looking at large-scale manufacture. You know, we'll, I mean... Uh, And we've done some high level costing, it's going to be way over a billion rand. I mean, it requires quite a lot of effort and money in terms of getting to the scale that other countries would have. But um, in that, we cannot do it alone. So, you know, Biovec will obviously do its part. We need technology transfer partners, and that's what we've put there in yellow. Uh, And we need an enabling environment, and I think this is where government can help in terms of making sure that the procurement framework is important. We need to be supported by the likes of Department of Health in terms of enabling and making sure that local procurement continues. If we cannot supply locally, uh, then, you know, we could just as well shut shop. So we need to make sure that other government departments that are procuring vaccines like the Department of Health continuously support local procurement. Development finance institutions, we're already working with the likes of IDC that need to support us, especially if we want to expand. The regulated environment uh, is also quite important. And all of this needs to come together in order that we make sure that we have South African-made vaccines that would be not only for South Africa, but for the continent. So with that chair, that is just a short introduction into who BioVac is. Uh, this is a picture that shows you where we are located. So our facilities are just located, um, uh, and I'm not sure if members can see, be able to see my cursor, but my uh, our facilities are located there and limited facilities, humble facilities, and we hope that they can grow uh, in future. So yeah, maybe I can uh, then take questions. And Bonini, I'm hoping, um, I mean, you guys are, are quite enclosed with Biovec. Maybe there may be additional elements that I haven't covered uh, that maybe need to be covered. Thank you. OK, thanks.
4: Okay, thank you. Uh, just uh, uh, just uh, probably, in probably in terms of, of, things, of things that you, you said, you said um, um, that the. Department, Department releases its jewel the jewel the of the country. And we're hoping that in that's terms of the future, that will continue to build towards that. Um, the, the, there are aspects that perhaps, you know, will come up as we deal with the question. For example, what it means to have biovac in terms of the aspect of security of supply. And that's really a very critical aspect of why we need in the country and in the continent uh, to have uh, a company like BioVac. Gloria, I don't know if you've got anything to add before we hand over to the chair. Um, no, not
6: at this stage.
8: Thank you. Okay.
4: Thank you so much, honorable chair. I'm going to give uh, the um, mic back to you and then we'll. Uh, Take whatever the honourable members would want us to take in terms of questions and clarity, etc. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Moreno. Chair
0: is muted. Person, you are muted.
4: Uh, Chair, I think you need to unmute.
5: Yeah, he's, he's muted.
3: Okay. I'll end up sharing the meeting now.
0: i yeah. Sh- we are <clears throat> the meeting, isn't it? Can, can't yes, you I unmute? Can't, I, can't, I can't. I can't
1: unmute the thing.
2: uh thank you very much i think uh, the chair is struggling i will not allow honorable uh, gates to chair um <coughs> as a result uh, chairperson person will indicate if you are able to to take uh, over
1: i think it's um, on now
2: can okay,
1: i on now
2: yes yes chair, we can hear mm-hmm. you yeah
0: <clears throat> IT, somebody here who has got rights to meet people muted me. Don't know whether it's IT or it's Shannas and this creates very serious problems because it's very frustrating. You are speaking here, yeah? the next day you are muted by somebody you don't know who that person is. Some invisible hand there just disrupts the meeting. But anyway, I hope uh, members can hear me, I was taking, I uh, wanted to take some uh, hands, I see Honourable Bozzoli uh, Litsi Yekeeti, uh, and Litsi uh, and Honourable um those are the only hands that I saw. <clears throat> Before we go to the hands, uh, uh, I didn't get an explanation where the DG is. Uh, we didn't get, we didn't receive any apology from him. We normally honors our meetings. When he's not coming, he sends an apology. Now, I saw DG on earlier. Oh, Today's DG. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, they didn't explain your absence, did you? I know you normally honour our meeting, <laughs> so I was wondering.
2: the chair. thank you.
0: Oh, I was wondering because normally we, when you don't come, you do submit an apology. <clears throat> yeah, actually, the issue that I thought you will clarify before we even get to the questions, is um, the the sort of the discussions that are taking place now between DSI and uh, and the Department of Health, mainly around the establishment of a pharmaceutical company, uh, which which is something that uh, I think we were briefed earlier on, but it's something that did not come out very sharply today. And I thought that the department will start from there so that we can then understand the context from which we are engaging with BioVEC and this discourse is happening because there are some challenges, as I understand, unless those challenges have been resolved. So maybe if the DG can just, uh, or the DDG can just talk to that first before the members can then engage with the presentation. Uh,
4: Thanks so much, DG, can I go?
2: Yeah, yes, please. Uh, I'll add if there's a need to yeah,
4: go ahead. Yes. So, Honorable Members, the, 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 these are two different issues, and I think the, the presentation that uh, Dr. Makwana made also highlighted that. So, we've got two uh, different processes. One is the vaccine manufacturing, which currently in South Africa happens under BioVac. So, that's what we have been presenting today. The aspect that the Honourable Honorable chair is talking about is the one of pharmaceuticals, which will mainly be your drugs and related active pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. ingredients. Now those are generally your chemical processes, and that's where you find. uh, You in South Africa, we're looking at um, the HIV drugs, TB drugs, etc., etc. So they are not part of the vaccine uh, manufacturing industry and portfolio. So that's why they were not covered here. So the aspect that the Honorable Member is speaking to, it needs to be um, dealt with separately. And that's that's the one that is not going to need uh, Dr. Makwana. It's really going to need completely um, different uh, competencies. That, that's why he's indicated that between vaccines and drugs, the vaccines follow a typical process which is much more difficult uh, than the ones of drugs manufactured. And that's why there are different uh, chemical I mean, processes altogether. The one is chemical and the other one is mostly um, biochemical, looking at live, uh, live organisms. So that's really just the clarity to make. That's why uh, Dr. Maguana didn't mention the issue of pharmaceuticals because they are being treated in a completely different platform. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, Let's just continue with the hands. I think that is also the conversation that we would like to uh, enter into um, around pharmaceutical company and the progress and the discussions taking place. But for now, I think let's take the hands. We are dealing with the two presentations members. I think we do have some time, maybe we can uh, engage until half past five, and then from there we allow enough time for questions, or for responses. Honorable Bozodi, you are the first, and followed by
1: Hitzia. Uh, Thank you very much, Chair. Just to the Commission of Gender Equality, um, I found your presentation little a little bit uh, out of date. The survey that you described, if I, just correct me if I'm wrong, but the survey that you described seems to have been done two years ago, and you did come and report on that survey to the committee at the time. And um, not only that, but, but the committee made a whole lot of recommendations. But the department, I think, was called to the committee to respond to those resignations and um, we took them quite a bit further. And also, it looks as though, from your own presentation, you've actually been following up on the, the older uh, work that you did. And you've given us no indication of what you found in your follow up. So, we don't know whether the recommendations you made in 2018, two years ago, have actually resulted in anything. And if so, what? Um, and so it, it doesn't seem really that um, we're going to learn anything about the actual up-to-date situation in universities. As far as gender-based violence is concerned, in particular, um, at the last, the last time you presented it, which was in 2018, we asked the department to engage universities on gender-based violence and report to Parliament. So maybe we could just, the the Palmer could remind us on what happened with that report. Um, And then also could you let us know what you have found in your follow-ups to your 2018 report? Because you say that there's a 2019-2020 report due and um, I think it's important for us to know what's in that because then we will know how the universities have have, um, moved forward on these issues. Um, I found, in a little bit of a mis- what you might call mission creep, for you to be commenting on aids on to do in relation to gender. The, you know, we don't need to also discuss all the other matters that concern the country in relation to disadvantage. I think you, you really need to concentrate on gender and particularly gender-based violence which seems to me to be a really important issue. Um, Then, um, as far as BioVac is concerned, wow, what an interesting presentation Um, and um, what an inspiring um, outfit you seem to have developed. Somewhere or other you mentioned that uh, the PPP, one aspect, of the PPP will be ending in June 1920, which seems a bit of a worry because this clearly needs a lot of money and the government doesn't have any money at the moment. Although they are finding 21 billion to put into SAA, I don't know where that's going to come from. But anyway, from from what I, I can see, no government department has large amounts of money. You're not going to get money from there. So surely your PPPs are, are, are the key to your vision of expanding this in, into something bigger. So could you just comment on the likelihood of more uh, partnerships and bigger partnerships and how they might take you forward? And, um, and then why are you out licensing some of your work to international partners? Why can we not do that work ourselves? Is it that we just don't have the funding and the capacity if you could just tell us a little bit more about that. Thank you very much.
0: <clears throat> okay, thank you very much. Uh, uh, Honourable Pozole, I noticed that your connectivity is not quite strong. That's why I, I did not insist that you must have your, your camera on. But please, those members who are
2: coming in, please just switch on your camera. Honourable Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Sir uh, um, Chairperson, let me start with the first <coughs> uh, presentation on the Commission of Gender Equality. I think maybe let me first um, um, indicate that I think. Um, The commission in in, in their presentation today really limited their scope of work to an issue of male versus female workers. And my understanding is that um, gender equality covers a lot of uh, aspects um, beyond what they presented today. In my view, um, the commission should look at broader scope um, in terms of um, uh, women in business and the institutions of Ireland they covered the the youth uh, in that space uh, people with disabilities in that space and I think uh, they really limited themselves Um, (coughs) and um, I think I must clearly indicate that it was indeed um, a little bit disappointing um, um, from their from their presentation um, you know they are in the business space they are infrastructure projects uh, they did not go into details as to how many uh, youth-owned businesses female-owned businesses uh, people with disabilities businesses uh, participated in such projects or programs at institutions of higher learning. Um, The one question I have, I think maybe the first question I have for them, is that how many, or when last, rather, did they conduct a survey uh, on the status quo uh, in the sector? Um, Is it two years ago? And if so, why? Um, Why is that the case? I think uh, um, if we are to work uh, that far behind it will take us a long time really, to um to uh, change the balance of forces in terms of um, uh, gender-based discriminations discrimination in this sector um, the second one in may last year uh, before the new before the the sixth parliament, the former minister (coughs) of higher education and training appointed a task team to advise the ministry on measures on measures to prevent gender based violence at, uh, at at higher education institutions. Whether the Commission was consulted by the team to advise on measures to prevent uh, uh, gender-based violence. Um, As we all know that uh, the Commission has done a lot of work, um, at least on gender transformation at universities, uh, despite uh, what I've said um, in the first point. And uh, what work uh, is the Commission doing in other entities of uh, DHET for an example, in Tibet colleges, uh, skills development, um, um, skills development uh, branch of the university, the CITAS, CETS, and so forth. I think uh, maybe on, um, on 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 the commission. Maybe let me end there. Uh, move to to BioVec. I think uh, let's welcome the, um, <coughs> the, re, the presentation. As uh, presented to us um, a lot of people in South Africa uh, I think as we've seen social media with social media uh, posts uh, really do not know much about Biovec. Um what what work are we putting in to changing um, or to 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 popularizing um, um, biovec in South Africa At least to be known that It is a vaccine uh, Producing uh, thing And uh, you know so that uh, People can know that at least Even here in South Africa we do have such thing too um, I tried to follow uh, The leader who was uh, presenting uh, After I think the DDG um, On 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 the, the role that they're playing in the, um, in the vaccine production here in the country. Of course, given um, <clears throat> the, the, the coronavirus, the imminent uh, presence of uh, coronavirus here in South Africa, what role are you playing in making sure that uh, at least uh, we we play a, a critical role in the production of this vaccine? Uh, um, a vaccine I know that uh, i've listened uh, a lot of uh, many times uh, to professor karim uh, to dr William key uh, uh, saying that South africa is participating in the production or uh, the early stages uh, uh, production of a vaccine possible vaccine for coronavirus what role is uh, BioVac playing in that space in making sure that the uh, um, to to making sure that uh, we also play a critical part in um, uh, in the production of these things. I think maybe um, uh, Chaperson maybe lastly uh, they, they are not telling us uh, their challenges. I know that we have spoken before the DG would have uh, spoken at least openly about the challenges that they are having. Uh, in the the entire department of dsi uh, we did touch a little bit in the previous one of our previous meetings about biovec um, uh, what is it that they are, they are asking from 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 us as a as a way of uh, of assistance in terms of making sure that biovec plays a critical role uh, moving forward in the production of future Uh, vaccines but also the production of uh, coronavirus vaccine that is imminent they were told that coronavirus will be with us possibly till 2022 and so forth uh, from the NCC Um, uh, you know so it's very important that at least we understand that but thank you very much okay thank you very much uh, honorable gates
0: are you just there quick... okay yeah
3: just two quick questions chair right and uh, maybe to be granted an opportunity to bluetooth with the sentiments Chatterson have made when earlier on when he was opening for the hands uh, with regard to the pharmaceutical company that the the government had intended to establish I mean, we all know that that discussion emanated since from two thousand and seven, nine back there. So, the, the, the question is direct to perhaps not only the 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 guys who are presenting, but together with the department in terms of the modalities that we can consider. Because I can see that uh, these guys are having more than forty percent. I mean, the state with more than 40% in this entity of uh, uh, producing the, the vaccines. So perhaps if we look into the, their way of doing things, what, what kind of advice is they can perhaps give to the department and ultimately the state to fast-track the establishment of a pharmaceutical company because we all agree that it's one of the most necessities that we need at this present moment. Number two will go directly to the the gender-based violence. I mean the 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 committee on the commission on gender uh, uh, equality. And well, I'm not going to dwell much into the gritties of their presentation, but rather to ask that uh, the department don't do the department don't have the the, the coordinated and central uh, gender-based violence policy that is number one aspect because if you are going to consider individual universities with their own gender-based violence policies i mean uh, we are going to have a lot of mixed masalas in the process and uh, the, the question of accountability won't be adhered to and on the same breath with the, the question of gender representation i think it's one of the most a most spoken issue uh, you know at this present moment and it we keep on speaking about it and i think this is the relevant uh, entity to the commission of gender equality that we can perhaps register these points with them uh, i think the society should move away from you know how we are stigmatizing or perceiving the gender representation the gender quality the reason why we are still having few women in in leadership positions in 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 the most critical decision making positions of business is because we are normalizing this thing of the way we are talking now i mean we are even always celebrating the fact that there's 50 percent of women in you know even organizations themselves what are political organizations churches It it it, it looks like it's a celebration to them. I do not know if I I I am being understood. It's like it's a huge thing, uh, you know, as opposed to something that is supposed to be normal. I mean, it should be normal. We are we are supposed to be surprised if it is otherwise. But we must not uh, you know jump and over jubilate because there is fifty one percent of women in a particular strike and I think this is entirely the responsibility perhaps of the Commission to ensure that uh, we normalize these uh, you know issues of women being in those critical uh, uh, positions I think I will leave it there. those are the only issues chair I wanted to share with the committee thank you
0: very much okay thank you very much Andrew
8: <clears throat> thank you chair uh, I just want to respond to the Commission on Gender Equality first by saying that um, uh, it's it's very different if one listens to uh, these kind of reports from an academical perspective or a theoretical perspective, and whether one has uh, your own gold child or a near family member far away from your home at the university and... Uh, uh, well, as I've once uh, noted to, to my daughters, uh, I said you have to grow up as feminists because the, the kind of, of men that uh, are made today don't, uh, that don't um, allow for traditional values at women uh, anymore. Uh, a little bit tongue-in-the-cheek. But uh, it's, it's a huge problem at all the universities and uh, that we keep count. Uh, of the way in which it is uh, um, fought against, uh, I think is important. Maybe one uh, needs a little bit more, as some of the other uh, members said, and I will I will not say what I wanted to about that because I think I'm covered. Um, regarding Biowax, uh, I just want to uh, the the, the presenter, uh, very quickly referred to the discontinuation uh, shortly, I think, in some of the the, uh, companies, and then I think in 2001 and somewhere else, uh, the others. Um, And I think we had a a surge of thinking at that stage, if I remember correctly, that uh, South Africa is a developing country, not very wealthy, and should not invest too much money in kind of... uh, uh, prestige projects uh, for stuff that can be important just as well. In the meantime, our currency has plummeted. And uh, I think also with the COVID-19 crisis, the idea that uh, having the ability to make something inside your own borders and, and to really do things yourself, uh, was uh, it was uh, confirmed once more and in this sense i must say that the scientific community in state-owned enterprises or state entities uh, they just keep on amazing us with the uh, you know the uh, the passion and the uh, commitment with which they do their work the places that we have uh, visited that uh, with oversight meetings and uh, also The presentations that we uh, receive and i think that's something that south africa can be proud of you get many people who have very strong ideological opinions about should any any business being be owned by the state some say yes some say no never i think uh, most people have a kind of a um a let it go approach when the state models it up they say we are against state ownership when the state does it well, they say, "Well, it's good because then the uh, profits go to the to the people or the state or whatever, and not to uh, a, a small elite." Um, and that is uh, the obligation uh, on state entities to manage their affairs as uh, such that they don't uh, create pressure for themselves. What I want to ask from the um, from Biovac, uh, we. we uh, took connoissance that the president uh, promised huge amounts of money for some sectors in COVID-19, um, uh, well, let's say treating of the consequences, not of the illness, uh, and some budgets are going to be cut. Uh, does Bio have, BioVac have clear indications whether their um, budget is going to be increased or going to be cut? Thank you, Chair.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, can we get Honorable culture
9: Thank you very much, Chair. Um, uh, apologies again for the challenges I've been having today. Um, I, I will have it sorted out as soon as possible. Um, so, with your permission, Chair, I'd like to continue without the video.
0: Yeah, it's fine. Go ahead.
9: Thank you, Chair. Um, Chairperson, I'd like to. Um, Thank uh, both uh, uh, the CGE and um, and, the, and the Department of Science and Innovation for their presentations today. Chair, mine perhaps won't be many questions but um, issues that I believe that as the portfolio committee we must um, uh, ensure that we keep track of how they are implemented and that we propose them to various institutions as well, uh, to the department and to also CGE, to take into consideration. First of all, Chair, I think it must be prioritized that um, there is what Honorable Kieti had mentioned, a a, a centralized formulation of policies that ought to be um, in all institutions, um, as per the standards of the department, when when relating to issues on gender and sexual harassment. Um, and other discriminations with, that, are, that are bound to be uh, found in the higher education sector, and that goes across universities, TVEs, and CETs. Chair, um, it's important that there is an increased collaboration between the gender offices, gender offices of the university, and the student leadership present. Often there is a huge disjuncture between um, gender offices of the university and and the SRC, and and thus you would find. Um, You know there's no consensus on dealing with some of these issues chair also in many institutions there may be a security infrastructure plan or even um security infrastructure that is meant to ensure that when students are at risk um uh, from gbv and various other forms of violence that students are able to indicate that but however those particular that particular security infrastructure is not functioning which does not um you know necessarily assist us and so you know when if, if, an, if a university were to present or an institution of higher learning were to present to the portfolio committee they would say that they have these various security infrastructure plans or systems in place but when you speak to students they would tell you that the actual um, uh, functionality of, the, of that security infrastructure is non-existent. chair we also need to um, really look into how um, we, we how we strengthen repercussions for councils and executive management committees that don't have um, any form of gender parity. Um, we do want to move to a point where, in fact, there are no quotas, where we don't have to remind people you know, to be inclusive in the manner in which um, they compile their structures, but in the interim, whilst we deal with a society that is intrinsically patriarchal, we need to ensure that um, those quota systems are put in place in order for us to see the type of change that we want to see. Chair, I'd like to call for uh, an increased strengthening of legal systems between um, universities and and the South African police services and, for example, the justice system. So often there's a disjuncture between um, the internal processes of the university when dealing with various um, uh, GBV or or, or cases of violence and them being reported to the SAPS uh, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, you find a situation where um when when these matches are not resolved Che, it becomes not only um a, a, a challenge for for the student who um is laying the, the charge or, the, or making the allegation but um, the alleged as well. Uh, so the, the finalisation of these particular cases chair is highly pivotal in order for there to be a, a conducive environment of, uh, for learning. Chair I'd like to follow up on Honourable Lidzia's question with regards to um, the work that has been done by the CGE thus far when it comes to um, compiling a report on these institutions and basically um, Cons, cons, being concerned with the, the the time frame it's taken for this compilation, it, you know, what would what would assist in increasing the capacity of the CGE to uh, to 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 create more um, more recent uh, and updated um, reports on on issues around uh, gender um, equality within the higher education sector? Chair, I'd like to find out if the CGE has made any follow-ups. With um, uh, the, the various um, ministerial, so the various departments, after last year's, <clears throat> um, uh, I, I don't want to call it, well, an uproar and a, and a massive call for increased security infrastructure um, across various institutions of higher learning. In response to what was sparked by Uylenne's death, there were various commitments that were made by by the uh, by various departments on how they will uh, assist in beefing up security infrastructure in institutions of higher learning? Has the CGE perhaps um, followed up uh, on, on any of those commitments to say how far have we gotten? For example, there were conversations around um, uh, Memeza's being distributed. I think those from the CGE would know what I mean when I refer to a Memeza. Memeza being distributed across various campuses and and, and other um, type of uh, interventions. Here I'm concluding. Um, are they? Uh, what has have were there time frames set for institutions that had not that that were recommended to provide, um, or to work on various policies and to review their policies? So, were the time were, were they time were there time frames set for institutions to review or formulate those policies? And if there were and if so, have they met those time frames? And if not, which institutions are still lagging behind in terms of developing those policies? Chair, we must reiterate our concern with the issues around and um, the sepaho Mukato University, and that they, you know, um, in any space, Chair, where there is, where, where, where um, the community it does at large, there's no consensus and a feeling of cohesion um, on, on various appointments, particularly because of Um, matters relating to GBV, Chair, you provide for an environment that does not feel safe and where, you know, there's just no trust amongst those in the space and that is not conducive for learning. Um, Chair, I I think um, I also just like in in closing perhaps say that we we are continuously seeing the link um, on how pivotal it is for us to ensure that the funding of... Of, of students be as uh, successful and as accessible, in order for them to ascend into into postgraduate learning, in order for them to become scholars and academics, in order for us to ensure that there is um, an increased representation um, in 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 the. In the makeup of academics and management of institutions of higher learning, um, chair, those are perhaps all uh, the you know all the comments that I had. And of course, we welcome um, the the presentation made by the De- uh, Department of Science and Innovation on bioback Thank you very much, chair.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Culture, and for all the members for raising their their issues, their comments, and so forth. Mine is just one, I think it's two, okay, maybe two. The first one to the Commission on Gender Equality. Now, uh, there was a a case which we requested the Commission to update us on, and uh, I must thank you very much for giving us the documentation on the 7th of May. There is a case which was lodged by Professor Pendler. Who was the Dean of Students, uh, Dean of Education at the University of Venda? The case of sexual harassment against the Vice Chancellor, then uh, Professor Peter uh, mbati Now, the commission investigated that complaint and produced the report uh, on the 4th of December in 2014. Now, there were there are two key findings which are on that report and I want to highlight those uh, for purposes of those who have not read that report. Now the first finding is that the commission found that the allegations of sexual harassment by Professor Pendler were convincing. Uh, The second finding was that it was, it was the Commission's finding that the failure of council and management to take the next steps after the collapse of the mediation process was a direct contravention of the university's policy on sexual harassment. So what, what, what this finding meant is that the university, after having established the mediation process and appointed a mediator in terms of their sexual harassment policy, Uh, for which mediation failed, the next step was to then uh, request the report and then charge the Vice-Chancellor. Now the University did not follow that and it was the finding of the Commission that uh, that was in direct contravention of the University's policy. And therefore the, the, uh, the Commission recommended uh, that the university must comply with the clause which was 5.2 of the sexual harassment police. So this clause 5.2 says that you then must uh, go to the next step if the mediation fails, and then there must be formal charges uh, preferred. Now this report by the Gender Commission was taken on review. It was litigated against by Professor Mbati and the university. Uh, and that litigation uh, <clears throat> sort of resulted in some out-of-court settlement. I'm saying it's out-of-court settlement because it was per consent of the parties that the draft order was agreed to uh, in the South Gauteng High Court on the 30th of May in 2016. Now, what, what I found to be very interesting and really a concern to me is that it does appear that the Commission sort of uh, consented to be gagged because a a bigger portion of the report was then blanked out, uh, meaning that you can't say that, which you were saying in the report. Now, it is not clear why the Commission allowed itself to be gagged uh, by that litigation. But what was also very interesting was that the the recommendations of the report were not contested. So the recommendations uh, remained as they are. And part of the issues in the recommendation refers to the findings. uh, And therefore, recommend that this must happen, the minister must get involved, the university must be asked to implement the policy, and, and so forth. Now, despite the recommendations having stood uh, and not been thrown out of court, uh, it does appear that the Gender Commission did not follow through. Because, as we know, as of today, the university has never implemented the recommendations of the Gender Commission. There was an order which says that. Uh, they must proceed and part of proceeding was that the mediator must then give a report. I must uh, bring it to your attention that the mediator was then requested to bring that report Uh, Mr. Navari he did write a report that very report was contested by by Mr. Mbadi. not in the South Houting High Court but in the Tuendo High Court very surprising But because that was not the, uh, Mr. Lavares' report, it was the report of the university. The university did not defend its own report. It's quite clear that they were acting in cahoots with the then vice chancellor, uh, and as a result, that report, which was requested by the university, was set aside. Where well, it even confirms the findings of the of the gender commission. <clears throat> Now I want to find out why did the Gender Commission not follow through its own recommendations? Because the recommendations were very clear that uh, Professor Mbati must then be charged uh, for the sexual harassment allegation, which the Commission found uh, to be motivated. So nothing was done, and as we speak here today. The same professor popped up now at Tsufakumakhatu University. He has just been recently appointed as a vice chancellor there. Um, I think he started on Monday, the 1st of June. With all these allegations hanging, because these allegations were never tested in any, in any forum uh, after the recommendations uh, of uh, the gender commission. He was never charged uh, so, so it's a case that I find it very, uh, very unfortunate that there was no follow through on the recommendations that was made. The same gentleman whose allegations was made and there was a finding against him, although that finding was later on gagged, so to speak, Has now reappeared. Now he's at another university institution of higher learning as a vice chancellor. I would like to get uh, some comments from from the commission in as far as this case is concerned uh, because this is one of those classical cases where I think that. Uh, the survivor or the victim of the sexual harassment was really let down, let down by everybody. Uh, And as we speak now, the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator is still roaming the streets, not only roaming the streets, but occupying one of the powerful positions in the university. Now, the second issue I think is for the department, uh, <clears throat> I think maybe just to say that we would require a discussion, uh, DG. I'd hope that uh, when we schedule this uh, briefing, it was going to cover that issue around the uh, establishment of a pharmaceutical company and the kind of difficulties uh, and challenges that you currently have. But I see that uh, it looks like the memo was not uh, very clear. But I would like to find out what will be the future of uh, a biofax that this uh, uh, sort of, I don't know whether you call it an agreement that is coming to an end uh, at the end of this month, uh, in June. What will then obtain going forward? So yeah, those are my comments. can we get responses? Uh, maybe let's start with the commission. And then we uh, conclude with the department. The Chair and the CEO. Uh,
6: thank you, Chair. Uh can I go ahead?
0: Yeah, yeah, who's speaking? Is it the, the chair or the yep. CEO?
6: I was just checking with the chair of the commission if I if I must go ahead or she wants to start first. Can okay, you? the
0: chair is on the floor. Let's start with the chair, briefly, chair. Um,
7: thank you very much, uh, chair, for the opportunity. I um, I know that CEO will actually be responding to um, quite a number of questions very briefly, but. There is a question that I want to um, cover quickly before we move to um, uh, or allow the CEO to respond. There was a question that was asked about the task team uh, that was formulated. I think it was uh, Honorable Leslie Litsie who asked the question about the formulation of the task team by the previous uh, minister of um, higher education. And uh, my very quick response in in that regard, uh, Chair, is that, uh, yes, I think he's quite right. Uh, Last year in May, there was a task team that was formulated by the then um, Minister Naledi Pando, um, and this task team was appointed to advise on management and prevention of sexual harassment and gender-based violence matters. And it was a 12-month uh, a, a, a team uh, that was going to to be there for one year with specific, I think the terms of reference were quite specific to say this is what the task team would do. But overall, the team was going to advise on matters um, that are related to sexual harassment and gender-based violence in all universities. And I must say that... Um, the, the nine-member task team, uh, honorable member, was without CGE. We, we did not participate. And we did not participate for reasons that we are an independent institution. I think our mandate does not allow us to participate in the task teams because our mandate, um, ours is to monitor and, and, and observe and report to parliament. So if we are part of the team, we are not going to be able to um, you know, stand out, outside the team and be able to monitor that task team. I think we are doing the same thing with the, um, with the task teams as well as committees that are appointed by other departments like Department of Women, Youth and, and, and Persons with Disabilities. There are quite a number of committees, task teams that are, are monitored. Ours is to actually sit outside those teams and make sure that we monitor the functioning of those teams, how those teams were actually established, but also monitor uh, how those teams are functioning and what comes out of those teams. But I think this one was quite clear, Honorable Leslie, um, that, uh, sorry, Honorable Beren, that that team was supposed to uh, actually make sure that it identifies particular good governance related gaps and those good governance related gaps within universities are some of the things that I think we have partially spoken about in terms of leadership what is there what is not there and how agenda-based violence and sexual harassment issues tackled by the leaders or the leadership of universities and if for an example one of the leaders like chancellors vice chancellors in universities are found to be part of violating the rights or the students rights uh, in any other way how does the university deal with those things but also I think it was around a development of policies that team was supposed to look at policy weaknesses policy gaps and actually come up with a recommendation and I think the question that was asked by um, honorable Mkachwa that was saying that I think the effort was also to just try and make sure that there is a policy framework that actually cuts across all universities that guides universities on matters related to sexual harassment and gender-based violence in institutions. So ours was to actually remain outside, but continue to monitor. But unfortunately, that team was actually disbanded in a period of about 12 months. So we will continue to monitor what happens after that. And I think we will come up with recommendations. Thank you very much, Comrade Ebering. Uh, over to you,
0: CEO. Okay. Thank you. It's, it's honourable, see.
6: Thank you,
0: <clears throat> CEO.
6: Thank you. Thank you. Thank Bye you very honorable much, Honourable Lizzie.
0: Okay. And.
6: Um, Just to to highlight, I think I will will try and just quickly go through all the questions that were asked. I think uh, Honorable Bozoli, when she came forward, uh, one of the comments that she made was the fact that we we did uh, present before this committee on the same report. Uh, Just to clarify that particular point, we appeared before this committee in 2018, uh, and at that point, we only had reports that related to uh, other institutions, except this. I think at the time, we even made a presentation to highlight that we were having a presentation that looked at Cape Town, Free State, Johannesburg, KwaZulu Natal, Limpopo, uh, uh, you know, Stellenbosch, uh, and venda and veld and the like. And at that point, we made it very clear to the committee to say. Uh, there are institutions that were yet to appear before the Commission uh, and that appearance was going to happen in November 2018 at the time and that was the the institutions that we are now engaging uh, uh, on Uh, so just just to highlight that uh, the the presentation that we are putting before this committee is not the presentation uh, it's not the same presentation that we presented previously uh, because we were looking at different institutions all together. As we highlighted, it's always difficult for us to look at, due to budgetary constraints, it's difficult to look at all institutions all at one go. So per year, we select specific institutions that we are going to be looking into, and then we are able to 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 respond to that. And so when the committee requested us to give them the, 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 the this particular report, we took it that uh, it was understood that uh, we, in the previous we had actually indicated that we are still left with salt patches, NMU, and these ones that we are talking about today that we still needed to engage with at the time. Um, and yes, indeed, we, we have uh, done you know, follow-up work uh, as far as uh, some of these institutions are, are, are concerned. Uh, we did work uh, follow-throughs that were done in the financial year 2019-2020, uh, but due to the fact that you know COVID and everything else, we had not as yet uh, lodged that particular report, and so it became it became difficult for us to engage uh, uh, or try and highlight you know some of the issues uh, when we had we know that formally we had not been in a position to um, uh, to to. To launch the report with with, with this Parliament, uh, but having said that, we do have you know updates. Uh, we do have instances where you know some of the policies that we had spoken about uh, had been uh, adopted uh, by by some of the institutions, uh, as 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 we had highlighted. I think uh, uh, the biggest issue that we are still seeing is, in the main, also the issue of the movement. Uh, as as it was highlighted, that there there seems to be not be, you know, movement uh, in terms of uh, some of the, you know, uh, seeing real transformation actually happening and taking place. And we do have instances where where we had asked for people to put their key performance indicators and the like, that uh, uh, was not done. Uh, uh, in some of the institutions that we were uh, engaging with. So there is a a lot, uh, there are changes uh, here and there where we do see uh, the policies that we have asked some of the institutions to put in place uh, uh, coming up. Uh, A lot of some of them, some of these institutions had uh, adopted some of these things around June 2019 and the like when we were doing uh, uh, the work. So that, that report is ready, and uh, we, we can be in a position even just to update the presentation if ever there isn't going to be any formal engagement in terms of uh, uh, you know, going back and, and, and having a, a presentation on the report for the 2019-2020 report uh, that will give a much clearer indication in terms of uh, what has happened on some of the things. When we spoke about the issue of, uh, you know, gender-based violence uh, policy, we are not um, also advocating uh, for everybody to do, you know, Winnie-Lily uh, uh, as, 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 it was, as it was highlighted. In, in t- the fact of the matter is after these engagements in 2017 August, we had an engagement... Uh, with uh, uh, higher aids. Uh, I think at the time we had uh, the previous Deputy Minister, uh, Mduduzi Manana, who had started a process at the time in terms of ensuring that uh, there is a guide, uh, a, a policy that is put. That policy was called Higher Education Gender Based Violence Policy and Strategy. In fact, they had uh, sourced out the services of uh, one uh, service provider, Ms. Lisa Vettin, at the time, to come up with that particular uh, policy. Uh, We uh, went into a meeting where we were engaging and made inputs into that policy, uh, but we don't know uh, at this stage where that policy was. And I think even when we were in a meeting, uh, and we hope that as we highlight some of these things, that when the committee itself meets with the with the with the department as well uh, uh, they should be able uh, to to also engage the department to check in terms of how far some of these uh, processes are because there were processes that were started at the time in 2017 but as far as i know we still don't have a a, a policy and strategy uh, that uh, uh, is able to guide all the institutions of higher learning, so that we don't have people uh, um, uh, doing or coming up with with various uh, things, as it were, as as, as it was highlighted uh, by uh, one of the members uh, in terms of some of the questions that that were asked. Um, in terms of um, uh, the the quota. Uh, I, I think it's important, uh, 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 you know, for, for quota uh, uh, to be to be to be set. The fact of the matter is, when you look at employment equity plans that uh, the institutions of higher learning put for themselves, See, they don't. Okay.
0: Can I interject? <clears throat> uh, can I please request you to be brief on the question? You have got only four minutes remaining. Don't be elaborate. Just be direct to the point when you answer question because there are still many questions outstanding and you've got only four minutes left
6: thanks chair um uh, noted um the 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 issue we've, we've taken note of of the input uh, from uh, uh, one of the honorable members that has indicated that Uh, It may be helpful, you know, for us to also include issues, uh, you know, around uh, procurement and and, and the like. We do have a separate program where we undertake work on procurement uh, and we work across the board to check uh, our businesses that have been given, you know, work for, for, uh, um, I mean, women businesses that would have uh, gotten tenders and the like. So we do have a... A procurement, a procurement specific report uh, that we have that looks to across uh, some of the some of the sectors. Um, I think, Chair, you know, when it comes, I think the biggest issue that I wanted to also zoom into is the issue of 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 a uh, pendler, uh, the pendler uh, case. Uh, I don't think that uh, where there were specific things that were excised. or or, uh, or blotted out as it were from the report they were not affecting the actual recommendation and uh, that's why the recommendations that we were putting forward uh, and that's why we did not fight that battle because most important for the process for us was to ensure that our recommendations are staying intact uh, so that we can then uh, be in a position to to follow through There were quite a number of uh, recommendations and things that we had put forward, as the chair has highlighted. But in part, the minister then also had a specific uh, 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 role that uh, was needed to be played. Uh, We had written to the minister in terms of highlighting, taking into account that the minister will be the party that will be engaged with, whenever there's going to be issues, whether it's charging the VC and the like. We wrote to the minister at the time uh, and highlighting, you know, all the issues uh, that we, we had hoped that uh, uh, him as the minister will be able to follow through. Um, and But as well, it also is a, a concern to us when, as an institution, we had put our report, we had put the recommendation even before the minister, and i take it that when any institution is making an uh, engagement or ge- getting an engagement or engaging a vc that uh, the minister would have uh, you know some some process or some engagement i'm not too sure what the process would be but i take it that when we have put these recommendations and these issues before portfolio committee but as well before the the minister that would be responsible on some of these things that uh, uh, the minister should be able to take uh, those particular things uh, uh, forward um, in terms of what what needed to be done. Some of the recommendations were done where we could follow through with the institution itself. Uh, uh, issues around ensuring that they put a, a, a sexual harassment policy in place. Uh, you know there were quite a number of other things that we needed them to do. Uh, there were uh, also. A part of our recommendation was also even into issues around getting uh, the mediator report. And if I don't, if I if I remember well, there was there was even a second mediator report as far as 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 these things are are concerned. We took it forward. We took that matter forward to an extent that we even assisted and ensured that uh, uh, Professor Pendler was represented even at the labour court. Uh, at, a, at a pro bono basis so um, I hear the chair uh, you know in terms of the concerns that he is raising but I do think that uh, the commission also does have you know uh, limitations which is why uh, our mandate is such that when we find some of these issues we are able to engage with Parliament who would also have over direct oversight over these departments but as well, where, and or where in institutions of higher learning, we would we also engaged with uh, the minister at the time to highlight what are the issues that we had uh, as far as <clears throat> Professor Pendler's matter was concerned. And uh, there were specific things that uh, we had hoped that the minister will be able to take forward as far as that particular issue is concerned. And uh, we do think that had that happened, we, may, we wouldn't perhaps be sitting in a situation where the same candidate is appointed uh, somewhere else uh, 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 as, as the chair has just uh, indicated.
0: Okay, CEO, uh, can I interject and request you to stop here? If there are other questions that you still have, can I please request that you respond to those questions in writing? we can respond to the committee secretariat and then it will be distributed. My apology, unfortunately we don't have enough time. I need to give the other entity an opportunity to respond and then so that I also have an opportunity to wrap up. Uh, thank you very much, CEO and the Chair of uh, the gender Commission. Can we go to the department quickly in about uh, six or seven minutes?
4: Uh, yeah, Thank you Chair, I'm going to um, take some of the questions and then um, Dr. Makwana will do, will do the rest. Um, Chair, let me just start by the points that you made because I think they're quite crucial in terms of how we um, organize ourselves going forward. The issue you have raised around pharmaceuticals. Um, the DG has just indicated that we will be directed by the committee as to when we can come and uh, uh, brief the committee on that. So we will await that kind of um, invitation so that we can uh, indeed provide an update. Um, of course, uh, coming back to questions raised around BioVec, um there was an issue around um, the popularization of Biofag and the work that it does. And we have uh, started working with Biofag in terms of them being part of our um, public engagement activities. This could include your Science Week, uh, when we have the BioAfrica Convention, which is uh, one of our annual big convention, and any other outreaches that we have. Uh, we always uh, now have decided that we are going to invite because we see it as a platform also to attract young people into uh, careers that can take them into the vaccine uh, industry. So that 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 is what we continue to do in that regard. Now, coming to the role uh, that we are doing in coronavirus, as the CEO has indicated, when the whole activity around the of <coughs> Vaccines really came about, and this is really a global initiative. As a country, we obviously don't have nearly enough money to can invest in the development of a vaccine. However, what is really coming out, as you see, is now a global effort where uh, different countries and companies are sharing information and data to facilitate the process of vaccine infection. And As soon as the vaccine is found, one of the things that is obviously going to happen is there's going to be a need for manufacturing of billions of doses. And that will also have an impact on the queuing aspect of it. Who then becomes the first one to receive it? And that is really where, uh, in one of the slides, Dr. Makwana has indicated that we have already identified areas in the manufacturing value chain where we can actually fit in and maybe start to take what could be the load for the African continent. So he, he can actually um, elaborate more on that. Now, um, the the questions about the future of BioVec and what government can do. Obviously, um, when you look at what other countries have done in terms of their equivalent of BioVec is that they are considered as Strategic assets, which means that you protect them uh, to the best of your ability, because the the kind of gap that Baweb fills is such that if there is a shortage, you actually have a much bigger problem, even if that shortage is a week, because on a weekly basis, a number of children are getting born that must be getting vaccines that are provided by Baweb. So you then have a huge. Um, have challenge if you do not protect uh, an asset like Baalbek. And then the way we see it as a department is that there needs to be um, a commitment in terms of procurement. So you don't want like, uh, as I said, other countries, you don't want your Baalbek kind of asset to be competing unfairly with global multinational uh, for you to procure from them. You need to find a way of protecting them. Now there was a question raised around the budget cuts and how they affect Biovec. I just need to indicate here that Biovec doesn't get funding from, from us as a department or from government. They run as a uh, company and they when they need money, of course, as, stake, as shareholders, will then get to know what is it that they need to do, if they're gonna take loans, etc., cetera. Uh, the bulk of their loans have been taken with the IDC, for example, but as a department, we are not giving any of our budget to them. Um, Unless it is instances where it's a research grant, which will then be about the development of completely new vaccines, that's where there could be a grant that comes from the department. Um, I think I've I've, I've probably addressed the question that I have have in mind here until... um, the, um, I'm, I'm going to hand over to the CEO. But the one other thing that we're looking at, of course, is that the is, as a department, as a government, is to look at um, whether we keep the shareholding as is in terms of forty-seven point five percent, or do we go beyond fifty percent? So those are some of the discussions that we we are still having. Uh, Dr. Makwana, I think you can take over and give some of the questions to the Tswai. i you, are,
0: Sorry, Dr. Unfortunately, I've got two minutes. <laughs> I hope um, you're going to do justice. Otherwise, you can send it to us in writing.
5: No, that's fine, Chair. Uh, I can certainly squeeze it in two minutes. And I think um, uh, Mr. Morphe has essentially answered call it 80% of, um, of the questions that, uh, that were asked. I'd like to make just two analogies that I'm sure members would be familiar with and how, um, and how we're dealing with So I think if I can use the motor industry, so where you have the likes of BMW having a plant in Roslyn and Mercedes in East London and all of those, because uh, I think it was honorable who was, was asking in terms of licensing and technology and out-licensing. So Biovec is doing similar to the likes of what BMW, Toyota and everybody localizing. The difference though, is that Biovec is a South African owned company but it uses um, the technology that it receives from the likes of Sanofi and Pfizer. So those are our international counterparts and then we localize their, um, their, their products uh, here. And I think the motor industry is a very interesting model because that's something that we don't have. Because if it's identified as a key strategic sector, and I would like to think that vaccines perhaps uh, get looked at uh, in that way then there should be an enabling environment that allows for the sector to grow and because it's not only bivac that needs to exist for the next 10 15 20 years we need to have other bivacs that pop up naturally and i think the motor industry is one that how government has looked at giving long-term incentives for industry to naturally gravitate i think is a good model because then you don't have to rely on the state you then have an enabling environment now how you know, so so going to the second point in terms of how can an enabling environment be created? I'll make another example of a, a well-known PPP being how the uh, train. Now, building a how train, we know it's expensive, it's long and it's not any uh, everybody that can do it. Vaccine manufacturing is exactly the same in terms of, you know, people don't graduate because it's such an, you know, a big ask. Now, if we take five to seven years. To uh, in-license to locally manufacture, we ha- we need to have the environment that procures vaccines for that long. We cannot run in two to three year tenders. Nobody is going to set up a facility in South Africa, or it's even difficult for us to expand if the procurement is two to three years. We need to have longer contracts that enables inward investment. We then bring up that investment for local and for export. So I just wanted to maybe bring those two examples about how we can be supported. But I think a lot of the questions uh, already um, uh, Mr. Muwafa has uh, uh, has outlined. Thank you, Chair.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, uh, CEO. I think you must keep doing a wonderful job there at Biovec uh, The report that you are giving us is quite impressive. Uh, I hope that uh, post-June this year there will still be more support from government, more government involvement, and so forth. Uh, and as we say, we need to also have a discussion with the department. We we'll just look at the program and identify a slot in our program. <clears throat> uh, with regard to the gender uh, commission, thank you very much. I think the report that you are presenting it's a, it's, it's quite it's it's a little bit old, but it's still relevant. Uh, given the fact that it has never been presented to us as the portfolio committee. And we welcome the work that you do. <clears throat> this case of uh, Professor Pendler and uh, Professor Mbati, who has been appointed as a vice chancellor there, I think it's a case that must get all uh, law abiding South Africans to be so enraged about what has happened here Uh, because it just plays in the power space uh, of a patriarchal society where a very powerful man can basically get away with murder in spite of all the institutions that exist in this country Uh, because he has got access to unlimited resources of the university to litigate Litigate against the report of the Gender Commission. Uh, after that, litigate against each and every report that comes because you've got the money. Nothing can happen to you. And then the next thing you pop up again, you're at another institution, probably is going to continue with what he uh, has been alleged to have been doing at the University of And, and I think <clears throat> We as the Portfolio Committee needs to take a very serious, uh, strong stance against this. We cannot allow this situation. Um, ordinarily, you would know as uh, the Commission as gender activists that most of the time when they the I don't know whether to call them a survivor or a victim comes out in the open, uh, there is a lot at stake against that particular victim or survivor Uh, there's a lot at stake most of the time uh, she will be up against the very powerful in society and that person needs to be protected at all costs so i think that we should be as a portfolio committee and i think we will uh, establish some kind of preliminary inquiry into into these allegations because they remain there uh, and now the guy has been appointed as, as at smu and that appointment itself was very problematic because it happened during the lockdown when we had an outstanding engagement with the university council about a couple of things that uh, involves governance in that institution when they go ahead and appoint and now worst of all they come with this product, Uh, they come with this individual who still has got issues hanging around him of uh, sexual harassment. And I think that uh, is a matter that I think we must attend to as a committee and I think we will make a public uh, commitment that we will follow up this matter. But otherwise, uh, we, we, we thank the commission and I think continue doing the work that you need to do as a Chapter 9 institution. And I think in the preliminary inquiry that we will be have uh, uh, you will come here as a uh, support and as friends of the portfolio committee. Probably we'll ask you also to come and present to us uh, your role in, in the, whole, uh, the whole issue. Otherwise, honorable members, Uh, Thank you very much for participating in our meeting today. Tomorrow we are meeting at 12, uh, between 12 and 3. There is another meeting, a follow-up of the National Skills Fund at 6. I'm not sure whether that will be confirmed now. I'm, I'm looking at trying to move that either to another date. Or to uh, make it part of the 12 o'clock meeting. But otherwise, thank you very much, uh, honorable members and our guests. Uh, the meeting is adjourned.
2: Thank you, Chair.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank very you. progressive closing remarks, Chairperson. June is your month, I know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>